My Year of Bad Sex, written and read by me, Jonathan Izard. Part 17. Ali was Sunday. Monday was a medical day. Three appointments at the hospital. Bloods again from the left arm re the gut problem. Suspected spirochetosis. I liked the sound of that. Classy. Then a sexual health check. So more bloods from the right arm. Matching plasters. Then a hep B booster jab. And after that to dermatology. I've yet to meet a man called Dermot who works in that department. But I live in hope. I needed to have a small fatty lump on my back removed. At first, when I showed it to my GP, she dismissed it as not a necessary procedure and advised me to look for a private clinic. I did. It would be £300 for the initial consultation, never mind the cost of the operation. I scratched and squeezed the little blighter until it was puffed and weepy. I even managed to make it bleed. On the next visit, my doctor agreed it had changed, measured it and said it was inflamed and had grown by a few millimetres. Now she was so concerned that even I was worried. She had referred me to this service, and here I was lying prone on a kind of massage chair, having an interesting chat with the nurse about the joys of cutting into people's skin to help improve their appearance. There were mysterious feelings and a hissing sound I couldn't identify. When I asked her what was happening, she said, Um, I'll tell you later, sparing me the word cauterize, I suspect. I got a fourth plaster and went off to work. My main thought was whether it was sensible to go to the naked swimming group at the weekend. <laughs> when did sensible come into the reckoning? Was it sensible to have sex with Juanito, a Colombian man, two days later? He didn't seem bothered by the plaster. I can only conclude he was distracted by my many other charms. Juanito's photos online of himself in some skimpy swimming trunks on a sunny beach were stunning. Or should I say, flattering but although he'd put on a bit of weight since then, he still had a fine body and a nice open personality. He also had a humongous cock, a real jawbreaker, but he'd come to be fucked. How could I refuse? He also put an interesting device on, in, both. It was a cock ring with a bobble attached that went into his ass. Fascinating. And then he was ready for me. Fine. We had a great fuck. Afterwards, we lay on the bed and had a discussion about sexual health, the benefits of being on PrEP, and which were the best clinics to go to. Although Juanito was a great colour, had a fine body, a massive cock, loved to be fucked and could hold a worthwhile conversation, there was still something slightly disappointing, less than sexy about him. What? Why? I'm not sure. Was it not him, but the very nature of these grinder hookups? We weren't looking for a romantic, candlelit meeting, but a practical and mutually satisfying exchange for physical needs to be satisfied. As Oliver used to say about most of our meals, it's food. Juanito was the first of my massage clients, incidentally, to suggest moving from the table to the bed, rather than respond to my guidance. Very forward. And as we dressed, he suggested that next time we could bypass the massage treatment. Although I enjoyed that too, of course, he said next time? Saturday, a lie-in. But as soon as I turned my phone on, there were taps and woofs and swapped messages with various men who were available, but not that tempting. Or they were tempting, but not available. This whole hunting, the whole hunting, struck me as both pointless and yet compulsive. It's a waste of time, but what a way to waste it. Frogs, princes. Oh, go on then. 
On Sunday I had a four-hands massage arranged with Clyde and my sweet Angelo. Clyde was in the same assertive, rather too-much-in-your-face mood. He told me that I should change my toothbrush head. Who the hell does that? A partner? A mother? A dentist? Not some guy who works for TFL on a second sex date. Later, at the end of the evening, he would tell me that the sparkling water I served him on his arrival had been flat. And who the hell does that? A mean-spirited diner finding a reason not to leave a tip. Tell me at the time, you tosser, so I can do something about it and open a fresh bottle. He clearly thought Angelo was sexy. Of course he did. I felt jealous. But I also feel cross if someone says he's not their type. How dare they? Angelo was the first to take off his clothes. I enjoyed working on his body and having the extra permission to do things to him more than the permission that Clyde gave himself. After half an hour of back and bum and legs, it was time to swap and Clyde lay down. He soon latched on to our two cocks when they fell into his hands. Half an hour of this and then it was my turn. I lay on my back and the two of them gave me a thorough going over. After face and scalp and chest and arms and thighs and feet, finally they arrived at my cock. Very satisfying. But I became aware that I could feel only one pair of hands on me. I opened my eyes to look. They were Angelo's hands. Clyde was standing behind him, rubbing himself against Angelo and reaching round to stroke him. I was outraged. No, that's not the way it works. Not yet. But of course it was. I stopped trying to resist and nodded towards the bed. We combined in various ways. I saw them kiss and was surprised. I didn't find Clyde facially sexy at all. I did snog him once to see if that converted me. It didn't. All was progressing as expected, and I was contributing my usual potty-mouth repartee. Suck that big cock, and bite my nipples, and choke on it. You know the kind of shit I come out with. To call it a version of Tourette's would be insulting to anyone with that condition. It's pathetic and juvenile, and yet it works for me. Not for Clyde, evidently. Choke on it, he mocked, laughing. Choke on it! It was the same tone he had used for... You're no spring chicken. Talk about breaking the mood. Different chokes for different folks. Angelo and Clyde showered separately and left together. I imagined them swapping numbers and planning a one-to-one sometime. Their choice. I had no hold over Angelo and wanted nothing more from Clyde. At one point in the evening I mouthed, I love you, to Angelo, when he wasn't looking at me, but Clyde was. A cheap trick. But was it true? Monday, to the dentist for the implant. Or eggplant, as I refer to it when I'm at the surgery, trying to make light of my terror. It was a very expensive treatment, originally meant to be about giving me confidence again after Oliver's departure. Is that where confidence comes from? Confidence to be naked, to flirt, to date to invite strangers into my home, to massage them and have sex, from an even smile. Partly, I guess it does. Tuesday, Cosi Fantute at the Royal Opera House. Wednesday, to the Sexual Health Clinic in Soho. What a week of variety. It was time to get on to PrEP, or pre-exposure prophylaxis, for people who are HIV negative, but at greater risk of contracting the virus, which I, as ageing Lothario, obviously was, it was the right thing to do for me and for the men I'd be sharing quality time with. 
I wanted the meds to be able to relax and fuck bareback, as the parlance has it. The last time I'd been a random fucker was in 2000, before meeting Oliver that August. We were monogamous, I believe, for thirteen years. When he left me, I was too heartbroken to pursue anything sexual, let alone romantic, with other men. When Nathan and I fucked on the great grouting date, I knew he was HIV positive and used a condom. But the recent sexual surge had caught me unawares, doing things I hadn't expected, topping men raw, and either not knowing their status, forgetting what they'd said, or believing someone when he said, after we'd fucked and before the second fuck that evening, that he was undetectable. That was Willie. Willie the pisser. I'd used condoms with Furkan twice. Not with Ali, and not with Jalil, twice. How much risk had I been taking? Some. Even as a top, it was too much. I was shocked and embarrassed at how chaotic and irresponsible I'd been. Hence my visit to Dean Street. In fact, my trip to the clinic didn't go quite as smoothly as I'd imagined. I did bloods again and ordered the drugs. Next day I got the results. All negative, apart from positive readings for gonorrhea from the throat and rectal swabs. Well, that was a bit of a shock. Who should I contact to let them know? The staff at the clinic advised everyone relevant from the past couple of weeks. I checked my diary. There were the names of fifteen guys. Gosh, really? As many as that? Surely not. I counted again. No, not fifteen. Actually, it was sixteen. Plenty of them weren't relevant in that our activity had been no risk, but I did need to let Angelo, Clyde, Jalil and Juanito know the situation. Those are not texts you look forward to getting, nor sending, but generally they were fine about it. Juanito, who'd discussed the merits of different clinics with me not long before, was very relaxed and said he'd go for his jab. Jalil reassured me that there was no blame or shame and he'd get checked too. Angelo, even though he's a nurse, became a bit pathetic and couldn't seem to arrange anything himself regarding an appointment or even find out when his local clinic was open. I did a lot of research on his behalf, and only resented his inability to do it himself a teeny, tiny bit, honestly. Clyde, on the other hand, was remote and cool. I told him the facts and added, It's a bit embarrassing, but the right thing to tell you. His responses were monosyllabic. Where? When? And? Yes. Was I detecting the implication that I was the guilty party, the one who'd passed the infection to him? It could equally have been the other way round. But if so, I felt no animosity towards him. As long as we as a community acted maturely, that was the main thing. Attempting to suggest that this was no big deal and could be dealt with, and as Clyde worked for TFL, I added their supremely irritating jingle, See it, say it, sorted. That got no response whatsoever. I went back to the clinic and a nurse gave me a jab in the bottom. Even then she wouldn't say, just a little prick in the bum. For half an hour it was uncomfortable and gave me a slight limp. Then that wore off. Tests, diagnosis and treatment on three consecutive days, and all free of charge. I was almost tempted to make a shape with my index fingers and thumb. I heart NHS. Vomiting emoji. I wasn't quite exiting the forest yet. A couple of days later I began to feel unwell, the start of a fluey bug. I cancelled some online appointments and a workshop I'd been going to attend called Connecting Online. It was advice for gay men about how to meet safely and well through dating apps. 
I'd booked it some months before when I first tiptoed into all this with Tinder. Now, after leaping into the deep end, I wasn't sure I needed the same hand-holding. Maybe what I did need were words of caution and restraint. But I was ill, so I never found out what that evening would have offered me. I slept for sixteen hours and sweated it out. Then I returned to the clinic to ask, could the flu bug be evidence of seroconversion, i.e. that I'd become HIV positive? It seemed a possibility from what I'd read in their leaflets. The nurse said probably not, given that I'd begun to recover rather than having a two-week fever, but I should continue with PrEP and retest for HIV in four weeks. Meanwhile, I was not to have sex for a week. A week? A whole week! Seven potential shag nights, not to mention the afternoons. Not the mornings. I never want sex in the morning, just lapsang souchong. Well, it must be possible, I suppose. If I could go for years without, surely I could cope with a week's abstinence. I met up with Angelo for a coffee to talk about this recent scare, the visits to the clinics, the diagnosis and possible treatment. Not for him, though. He was in the clear. I asked him a bit about his sexual history in the context of our recent experiences. Yes, he said, he had sometimes been fucked. And do you think, I ventured, well, I've, I've asked you before. Yes, he said. Yes, Mr. Jonty, you've asked me before. And yes. Yes, you will let me fuck you one day? Yes. He reminded me of his tendency to come quickly, and said that when he last got fucked he came as soon as the other guy was inside him. He didn't specify who that was, or how recently that had been. I decided it was Clyde, the bastard. Sandro was an Italian man whose acquaintance I made in an odd way. One Sunday, after the naked swimming group, I had a message on Grinder from someone called Fabio. He said he'd been at the pool with his friend Sandro, who'd liked me, and might I be interested. That's the handy thing about the app. You see someone you like, or your friend does, who you're pretty sure is gay, and you can instantly check and probably find his profile there. You'll know in a few seconds if he's sexually compatible, has a sense of humour, likes pistachios and apostrophes, would ever fuck a Tory, or whatever, and then send him a message, even before he's crossed the road. Fabio himself looked very palatable, but he wasn't the one showing interest. He had included a photo of Sandro. His face was... simpatico. Might I be interested? Does a Catholic bear shit on the Pope? But odd that when I was swimming I'd had no clue anyone was clocking me. It seems my gaydar was rusty. Well, it had been in storage for a long, long time. Sandro and I found a time to meet at a bar in Soho for a drink. It was a jolly enough couple of hours. Sandro's body was sottile, he had occhi adorabili, and his character was piacevole, amicevole and dolce. He didn't smile much. It was a relief, though, when he did. And although we chatted easily about many different subjects, we didn't flirt at all. There was no scintilla or fiamma on either side. He worked in banking and was starting a new job the next day, so by 9.30pm he was ready to leave. I had to be at work at seven in the morning, but I'd have stayed longer if I'd felt a reason to. Despite the fact there was no spark, I looked at his slightly moly face and thought, yes, I would. 
Well, if I didn't have the purda of celibacy due to the clap. Good grief, seven whole days. Instead of seven whole days. Yes, I know I've made that joke before, but not for several chapters. I promise not to make it again. Probably. When we parted on the pavement, we shared a brief abbraccio and a dry bacchio on the labra. <laughs> Closed lips. After the hug, I did also stroke his stubbly cheek and said, Do it again? He said, Yes. Those I was stacking up that week and keeping at bay until I had a permit to fuck included James, a lobbyist who was twenty-seven but looked disturbingly like seventeen in tiny shorts on his profile, and Nikolai, a Russian guy in Sheffield, who wanted to take a day off work to come to London to have sex with me because he no longer did with his boyfriend of ten years. I'd probably end up being his therapeutic support, as well as fucking him. One day that week I had some possible gentlemen callers pencilled in for my close attention. Tom, David, João, James, Matteo, Josh, Ben, Ash. One after another they all failed to materialise, so I didn't need to address my inability to offer right now. For once I was grateful for their apathy. In lieu of relying on the company of strangers, I binge-watched episodes of Big Bang Theory. I was back with a big bang too. On the first night after my enforced abstinence, I had a message from Juanito, well-endowed Colombian who lived nearby. Would you go to the vault with me sometime? I have a fetish to be fucked in a sling. But of course, young man, why not? We agreed on another day soon. And what are you doing right now? He texted. Can I come round for a mini massage? I hesitated for almost two seconds and then replied, you'll be very welcome. Don't judge me. Juanito was handsome, olive-skinned, nearby, eager, and hung, and I had not had sex for a week. I set up the table, warmed the towels, and trimmed my nails. Half an hour later, he was there. I'd forgotten that he'd put on a few pounds since those photos on the beach, but gift horses, mouths, right? He didn't want a massage, mini or otherwise. Let's get to business, he said, once through the door, going to the bedroom, stripping to a coloured jockstrap, and getting onto all fours to offer me his yummy butt to rim. Which I did, with relish. No, I don't mean I put sauce on it. Oh, never mind. Soon he was on top of me, so we could gorge in a delicious soixante-neuf, or sesenta y nueve, I suppose. We treated ourselves to tasty mouthfuls of meat— very appetising, but in that position he was able to start and stop, swallow and pause as he pleased. I, however, had no say in the speed or depth of his piston pumps. Usually I am turned on by that frisson of alarm, not being able to inhale, so backing off for air. I'm an enthusiastic deep-throater, and pride myself in sucking like a Dyson, top of the range. I tried to breathe through the gag reflex, but had to acknowledge I was at Juanito's mercy— when I was clearly needing release, he didn't respond. The tingle of thrill morphed into a shudder of anxiety, and then a growing panic. I choked and had a taste of my stomach's contents. I was shocked, disappointed, embarrassed. That's not my style. There goes my reputation. There goes more than that if I couldn't breathe soon. I'd be asphyxiated with the gob-fucked expression of a gimp mask. I put my hands onto his hip-bones, still accessible despite the extra pounds, and heaved his whole body off my face so I could gasp and splutter and live to suck another day. Lifting Juanito and letting him dip back into me time after time was as efficient as doing bench presses at the gym. 
but a damn sight more enjoyable. He gave me an expert blowjob, but within minutes of my orgasm he was checking his watch and saying, "'I have to go. My flatmate has forgotten his keys.' It never occurred to me until weeks later that it was almost certainly a total whopper, just like his dick. As we dressed, Juanito told me he was excited about going in the morning to collect a dog he had bought. "'What make?' I said. From the look he gave me, I sensed he could tell I wasn't a canophile. After Juanito left, I had another glass of wine and went to bed. Just before I turned off my phone, a message came through from Jalil. Did I fancy meeting up tomorrow? Tomorrow, I replied. I couldn't remember my list of Saturday commitments. I'm not sure. Just coffee with kisses and cuddles. Nothing heavy. Oh, honey, I messaged him. I don't know if I have the energy. It turns out I did. My Year of Bad Sex is written and read by me, Jonathan Izard. The music and studio production are by Andy Mills. My Year of Bad Sex is a Protocol production. <laughs>